Thank you. Absolutely. We need to be giving Him thanks all the time, for He is worthy. Amen? Lord, help us to be ready to receive Your Word this morning. Teach us, we pray. Amen. So much of what the Bible does is paint a picture. And we've talked about this before, but the Apostle Paul is doing something really important in his letters. The rest of the authors of Scripture too. He's trying to reshape our thinking. He's trying to, to reorient our thinking. The way that he often does through images. Last week we saw two of those images. He was doing just that, that reshaping of, of our minds and our hearts. Paul told us that our salvation is a gift. And that had many implications because a gift is given for free. It's received with thanksgiving. He also told us that we ourselves, as Christians, are God's handiwork. He says we're part of His creation, but in a very specific way. We were created by God, His handiwork, His masterpiece, for a purpose. Imagine a potter seated, shaping the clay into some vase or some bowl, with a purpose in mind. This is meant to hold water. This is meant to hold food. Paul says we as Christians are God's handiwork made for this purpose. Good works. That's our design. We're designed for good works. These images help us, we said last week. They help us first be grateful for the gift, and second, Knowing that we are God's handiwork, made with purpose, we ought to feel impelled toward living out that purpose. We're made to do works that point to Jesus and honor Him, that love and bless others, so let's go do that. That's what Paul was saying. This morning, the passage we're going to look at is no different in that Paul is going to try to reshape our imagination again. Not that what he's doing is imaginary, but that by imagining what he's laying out for us, he wants us to see a new reality as believers. And of course, he wants us to walk in that new reality. I was thinking about other speeches that maybe we've heard or other lessons we've heard that have the same kind of sense to them. And I was thinking that we should look no further than Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s famous I Have a Dream speech. It was so impactful and memorable. Why? He called on all who were listening to reimagine the world. Reimagine a world in which, as he said, his four children, quote, will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, right? We all know this speech. We all remember it. I don't think any of you could say, oh, he said that? No. He got people imagining what that would look like. He laid out an image that he hoped the whole nation would now walk in. There's something interesting. What Paul will lay out here in our passage this morning is a little different than that speech. Because it isn't wishful thinking. It isn't him casting a vision and then holding his breath, hoping that it's going to come true. Paul, as an apostle 
who has written words inspired by the Holy Spirit, lays out what God has already done. And He invites us to see it and then walk in it. If you remember, Paul had said in Ephesians 1.10 that God was making known to us in Christ His plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him. Things in heaven and things on earth. Jesus is the head of everything we said. Everything summarized in Him. Everything united under Him. Paul's going to now explain just how that takes place even on this earth. And it's powerful. Open with me to Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2, we're going to take a look at verses 11 through 18. That's page 976 in the Bibles around the sanctuary. So please grab one from the chair in front of you. Open up and keep your Bibles open. Ephesians 2, we're going to look at verses 11 through 18. Ephesians 2, 11 through 18. Here's what Paul writes. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And He came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, for through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Amen? What a glorious scripture and text it is for us this morning two big picture points i want you to turn to the back of your bulletin there you have an outline that you can fill in here's the first picture or first point remember in order to appreciate you can put down remember in order to appreciate and our second point will be understand in order to be reoriented so remember in order to appreciate and understand in order to be reoriented let's Start with our first point. Look at verse 11. Paul turns his attention very specifically at this point to the Gentile Christians who are in Ephesus. He refers to them very specifically, you see it in the text, as Gentiles in the flesh. In other words, he's saying, you who by ethnicity are Gentiles, I'm talking to you. He goes on to make note what the Jews would call them. And it wasn't a compliment. Do you see it there? They're called the uncircumcision. It was another way of saying that they were unclean. They weren't in the community of the chosen. They didn't have the sign of the covenant. They were unclean, unholy, and they were not part of God's people. 
uncircumcision. Now, if you want to get a picture of what this language meant and how strong the language was, you've got to think back to King David before King David was king when he heard the threats of Goliath against the army of Israel. David was a young boy. He goes out to take provision to his brothers who are out there on the field, and he overhears what Goliath was saying to the Israelite soldiers, and this is David's response. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? That's a great insult. Uncircumcised Philistine. As a matter of fact, a number of years ago, I think some of my friends would we'd call each other this. It's not a good thing. Um, they're fighting words. This uncircumcised Philistine. Now, notice that Paul can't help himself, even though he wants to emphasize the, the uncircumcision, which he will do, but, but he knows that that language is really an insult against the Gentiles by the Jews, and so Paul kind of takes a shot at the so-called circumcised. Paul says, yes, they are circumcised, but it's in the flesh, and it's circumcision that's, notice, made by hands. In other words, he's saying that's a man-made circumcision not a god-made one and that language of man-made or made by hands is actually the same language that isaiah the prophet uses when he's talking about the false gods that the nations used to worship those are handmade they're not the real thing they're not the real god paul's saying that many of the jews who are still calling gentiles uncircumcision thinking of them as unclean well they themselves had not experienced circumcision of the heart but only the body which meant that they too, in fact, were still unclean before the living God. See, even back in Deuteronomy chapter 30, way back in the Pentateuch, we read this, the Jews were told, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart. That was necessary. It's not the flesh. The flesh was just a type. It was pointing forward to something much more important. The external is not what's important. It was the internal. The heart issue Paul is is painting a picture, though, importantly, of what's going on with the Gentiles here. Notice that he he tells the Gentiles that they need to remember something about themselves. Look at verse 12. What what are they supposed to remember? They're supposed to remember that, hey, you were without Christ. Gentiles didn't have a Messiah. That was the Messiah of the Jews. You were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They didn't have citizenship among the people of Israel, God's chosen ones. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. The covenant made with Abraham, the covenant with David, those covenants were made to those people, Paul says. You didn't have hope. Because if you don't have Christ, you can't have hope. So you didn't have a Messiah to come and save you, though you needed to be saved. And you were without God. Literally, the word that Paul uses there is atheists. You were without God. Now put it all together, it's like saying you were without God and you had no way to get to Him. There was no covenant, there was no bridge, there was no way to come to that God because really you were in darkness with no glimmer of light. Think back to the Old Testament. It's really the story of human failure and God's mercy. Part of God's mercy is that He he was going to show a way out. He, He called Abraham and his family. And he gave him the promised land, Canaan. He told him he's going to take them there and he's going to build that nation. And 
Fast forward a little bit and you get to Moses and the law given to Moses meant for the people that are going to be in the land. Listen to what Leviticus 20.26 says. You shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples. That word peoples could be translated Gentiles, nations, that you should be mine. Separated. That's the key. That was central to Israel's identity in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. Separated from the nations. Set apart. They were not to mingle. They were not to intermarry. They were not to worship with the nations because the nations did not know God. They did not have God. And God knew how easily His people could be corrupted if they would be intermingling with these other nations. And so the whole history of the relationship between Israel and others and and Gentiles was one of separation. Keep them out. Keep them away. Israel was God's people who had the promises the seed would come from Israel. The laws that kept the Gentiles out were supposed to keep Israel holy as God's plan was being worked out and until the seed would come. Here's what Paul's saying. But now the seed has come. The seed came. Look at verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off, right, separated, put out, you are now brought near by the blood of Christ. You who didn't have access, any way to approach God, you were outside in darkness. The light has come, and in Him you get to be near to the living God. Amen? How important is it to remember this? How important is it to remember what we were, where we were, how we were, and what we are now? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was what? Lost. That's what Paul wants them to remember. You were once lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. To remember how far we were from God, how oblivious we were even to our need for Him. I was talking to someone just recently, and she was saying, man, if people, if Christians would just think back often to when they first came to realize that Jesus is who He says that He is. If we would just think back to how lost we were before He opened our eyes, everything would change for us we would be giving thanks constantly. But that's what Paul wants here from the Gentile Christians. To appreciate what they have now, they have to think back to what they were in, the condition they were in. It reminds me of athletes who often come out of great poverty and they find great success, let's say, in the world of sports or maybe singers and actors and others too. And some of them will go back to where they came from, go back often to appreciate where they have now come to. And even the best of them will find ways to help those who are still living in that poverty to find ways out just as they did. Paul wants us to remember in order to appreciate. Remember just how far you were from God. It wasn't that you were really getting close. You really wanted Him. You really were doing all that was necessary and then He just gave you a little boost. No! The grace of God came into our darkness and showed the way. But Paul wants us to do something more too. 
It's not just remember to appreciate. Look at verse 14 and on because he wants us to understand in order to be reoriented. See, just because we're brought near doesn't mean that our mentality has been adjusted properly. I remember trying to get acclimated to the married life. It isn't easy at first. You're so used to a lifetime of being a bachelor that your status has changed, but you've got to get used to the life that needs to change too. Here's where I think Paul really presses in on the implications of the gospel's glorious work in our lives. Look at the end of verse 13 to, to gain the momentum to enter verse 14. Paul says that we've been brought close, brought near by the blood of Jesus, the sacrificial work of Christ, the paying for our sins, the dying, rising, and ascending to the right hand of God. All of this has profound implications captured here by Paul with one word, nearness, near. Christ's blood brings us near. It bridges the chasm. It tears down the dividing wall. Look at verse 14. Let's pause here. Look what he says. Christian, Jesus is our what? Peace. Our shalom. It's a word that means more than just the absence of war. It means wholeness, integrity, completeness, fullness. It does also mean the absence of war and hostility. Some of you are familiar with St. Augustine and, and his famous words, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Thee, O Lord. Beloved, this is what Paul wants us to grasp here and understand. Our hearts, our lives were restless, peaceless, broken, hopeless. But Jesus changed all of that by His powerful work on our behalf, which means He has changed it. The question is, are you experiencing it? Peace. He is our peace. I, I was thinking about what Paul must have been reading at this time when he's writing the letter to the Ephesians, and I can't help but think he must have been reading the scroll of Isaiah. Because think of passages like Isaiah 9, 6 that we think of during Christmas time. To us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what? Prince of Peace. Isaiah 52.7 adds, How beautiful upon the, the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace. Peace. You see, the, the false prophets got in trouble because they kept saying peace, peace, when there was no peace. But Jesus here, we're told, is our peace. But what kind of peace does Paul have in mind? Look at verses 14 and 15. Because this may surprise some of us. Notice the language. He says, He has made us both one. He has created in Himself one new man in place of the two. What's He talking about? He's talking about the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. Interesting. He's talking about the hatred and disdain that existed between those who believed they were the people of God and those who were the outsiders. He's talking about the divided humanity that resulted from the fall. And he's saying that in Christ our peace, that changes. Think about what happened when sin entered the world. Adam and Eve had a relationship of peace. One flesh, in fact. 
From what little we have in the early parts of Genesis, we can see relational unity between Adam and Eve. But when sin entered and the fall occurred suddenly, we see the divide occur instantly. Now we have Adam passing the buck and blaming his wife. The woman you gave me. Not a real show of unity there by Adam, right? But it gets worse, doesn't it? Because what used to be unity is now complete division in these horizontal relationships, this division to the nth degree. Because the very next chapter, after this chapter of the fall, is Cain killing his brother Abel. And then later on in that very same chapter, it gets worse because now you got this guy Lamech, and what he ends up doing is killing someone, and it seems like he's celebrating it. And the rest is history. Literally, the rest is human history. What's human history full of? Division, separation, hostility, hatred, races separated, nations at war, class distinctions, caste systems, and none more highlighted than the relationship between the Jews and the Gentiles. Even Israel as God's chosen nation, because of sin, misused their status, showed disdain for those who are on the outside even when they themselves weren't living according to the very law that was meant to keep them holy. In fact, though God's law wanted to keep separation between clean and unclean, it also made provisions for the foreigners in the land, the sojourners, the strangers. But God's people, if you read the prophets, they didn't do very well in this. They weren't buying it. They actually ran to the Gentile gods and oppressed the Gentile strangers. They also oppressed others. Listen, the hatred of the Jews and the Gentiles ran deep. Very similar for many of us in this room that know the the hatred that Armenians tend to have for the Turks because of the Armenian genocide of the early 20th century. They didn't want to be around them. They, They couldn't eat with each other because of the cleanliness laws, but I don't think they minded very much. They didn't want to eat with the Gentiles. They had special words for each other, like Gentile dogs or uncircumcised Philistines. Maybe some of us would say Odar to them. By the way, the the Gentiles were not any better. They hated the Jews for similar reasons. They had choice names for them as well. They didn't understand the laws that they had and mocked them. One account I've read has Romans calling the Jews lazy because they took every Sabbath off. I wonder what they think of workers today. Anyways, look back to verse 14. Christ's death on the cross. His blood shed for us, Paul says, broke down the dividing wall of hostility. How? By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. In other words, beloved, Christ's death was what all the the ceremonies of the law, all the clean versus unclean language, all of the sacrificial system was pointing forward to. And when Christ died and rose and ascended, He abolished those laws that divided, that separated, that kept us out. They had filled their purpose. The seed had come, and now the promise to Abraham that all nations would be blessed through Him has come true think of peter in the book of acts interesting story receives this vision do you remember this vision the sheet comes down and on the sheet there are all these animals all sorts of animals clean and unclean and here's a voice that says rise peter kill and eat 
And Peter says in response, he says, no, 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 I can't do that. I have never eaten anything unclean. The voice says in response, what God has made clean, do not call common. Something had changed with Jesus' death and resurrection. Those laws were abolished that separated the division was removed. As we know in the story of the Synoptic Gospels of the, the, the crucifixion, the curtain came down. The vision has been changed. Peter was able to go and meet with Cornelius and his family to enter into their home. Here's what Peter says when he goes into a Gentile home. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with you or to visit anyone in another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Before we move on, I want you to be thinking about your own life, your own heart, O oh Christian. Your own understanding of the people around you who are different than you. See, there's one new man in Christ. One new community because of what Christ has done. That's why Paul says elsewhere, neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, there's no male or female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. And he continues, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The Gentiles are brought near because in Christ, they now have the fullness of the covenant and the promises. They are now citizens of God's people. They have Christ. They have hope. They have God. Look at the end of verse 15. So making peace. Isn't it interesting, beloved, that part of the peace that the Gospel brings is a reversal of this aspect of the fall? The division and brokenness in human relationships? Do you understand that? An implication of the Gospel's work in our lives is peace in these broken human relationships. Think about how shocking it would have been for people to see Jews and Gentiles sitting together, calling each other brother and sister, and then sharing a meal together. Mind-blowing for the people of the first century. Unheard of. And they did so with love and joy and unity. Only the Gospel could do that. In fact, that's part of what the Gospel is meant to accomplish in reversing the fall. In fact, it explains, by the way, why Paul gets so upset with Peter in Galatians chapter 2 when Peter, the Apostle, drew back, it says, and separated himself from eating with Gentiles. All because, quote, certain men from James had come into town in Antioch. Here's what Paul says about Peter in this case. Quote, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the Gospel. Did you hear that? Paul says of Peter the Apostle that by dividing the body of Christ based on these racial lines, based on the cleanliness laws that had been abolished in Christ, this is not in step with the truth of the Gospel. Wow. Years ago, when I was serving in an Armenian ethnic church, a Turkish evangelical pastor came to visit. 
And he came to apologize to our people for the genocide. A powerful, powerful moment. And in that service, we just so happened, that's always a famous line, it so happened. It means God had a plan, beloved. It so happened that we were partaking in the Lord's Supper that day. The gift the Lord had given to show us all what we have in Christ in His death and resurrection. That which gives to God's people their unity. The Gospel. And I was able to ask this Turkish pastor to help me offer the Lord's Supper to this congregation. Imagine, some of you were there, Imagine a Turkish pastor offering the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you to an Armenian church. Only the Gospel can do that. You see, there are horizontal implications to what Christ has done. Those changed by the Gospel see the normal fallen divisions fall away. They find unity because of Christ with the most unlikely brothers and sisters, wherever they are in the world, because in Christ we're one. Amen? Friends, this is why this church is such a blessing to me. Because here at TMBC, we are the merger of two churches that had vastly different backgrounds. Ethnically, socioeconomically, culturally. But Christ is our peace amen in christ is our unity amen and here is why it starts with the vertical look at verse 16 sure we are one new man in christ the two becoming one no more divisions but this is all really because of what christ has done in reconciling us both to god through the cross killing he says the hostility not just the hostility that was between men, but between men and God, the most important of all. In the garden, I mentioned that the human relationships were divided and broken, but far more importantly, we know that our relationship with God was divided and broken. In fact, going back to Adam, who said, the woman you gave me, when he said that, he wasn't just indicting Eve. He was actually indicting God. You gave her to me. He was blaming God, which so often... We do. We were cast out of the garden. We rebelled. We fled. We made for ourselves our own gods. The rest of the history of humanity. We worship the creature instead of the Creator. But through the cross of Christ, God reconciled us to the Father. He brought us back into the garden. If you can imagine the garden that we were cast out of, out of that nearness with God, out of that fellowship with God, and then He places the, the angel with the flaming sword in front of the garden so that we can't enter. And only through someone coming through that flaming sword can we enter. The cross of Christ where He took the death that we could not possibly give and then yet live but He could. And so He did. Through the cross of Christ, reconciled to the Father, now in His family, now in His presence, now adopted, as Paul had said earlier. Look at verse 18. Through Him, Christ, we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. Beloved, there's only one Savior. There's only one Spirit. There's only one Father. 
There's only one triune and glorious God. There is only one access point. Jesus Christ. His life, His death, His resurrection, and yes, His ascension to the right hand of God. If we are in Him, we are brought near to God, and therefore, we are brought near to everyone else who is also brought near to Him. Amen? That's where our unity is. Beloved, the vertical reconciliation leads to the horizontal. It heals the brokenness. It pushes toward unity. It impels us toward real peace, true camaraderie, deep fellowship. So understand in order to be reoriented. Understand that if we as Christians are dividing ourselves constantly from other Christians, then we are not in step with the Gospel. We can't be. Understand to be reoriented. This is what Paul wants. He wants the Ephesian Christians and he wants us to see the gospel isn't only about our relationship with God, that it certainly is, but it is about our relationship with others. The church should be, should be excuse me, the place of greatest unity within great diversity. It should be a place where people come and think, this doesn't make sense. Can't explain it. What do these people have in common? Jesus. That's who. He is our peace. That's who we have in common. And we can say to them when they are shocked at what we have in common, when they're going, it doesn't make sense to have these people different ages, different backgrounds, different, different culture entirely, but they come together and they are really together. They're not just sitting in one corner and someone else in another corner, which if you all have your own seats that every week you sit in, Reconsider, okay? Unity in the gospel. Okay? But when they come and they're shocked at the unity here, we can point them to Christ and we can say, you can have Him too. In a world that is so broken, so divided along all of these lines, racial and socioeconomic, listen, this church should be where people see it done right. A church that's been saved by the grace of God, people transformed by the gospel, this new community because of Christ, Jews and Gentiles, Armenians and Odars, black and white and yellow and red and every other, what's the song? I don't remember it. I can't get the order right. right. Jesus loves the little children. Yeah. If you believe in Him, you can receive this gift too. They will know we are Christians by our love for one another. And what a witness that would be to the world of the power of the Gospel because this unity, it doesn't come from us. It's not natural. It comes from God. People broken, divided, in rebellion. But no, He came because He loved the world. He took on flesh to live, die, and rise in our place to be our peace. Reverse the fall. Remember, in order to appreciate understand in order to be reoriented. May the Lord give to us deep unity. May people come to this church and find a body of diverse believers who love each other well, who have set aside all divisions, and in Christ reflect the glory of His Gospel-created community. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, in this church, may we get a glimpse of heaven. Because in heaven, all the tribes, tongues, and nations will be together worshiping 
the triune God who is worthy. We praise You for Your love for us, the grace that You've poured out, the change that You've made in us. And now we want to think like You, Lord. To have a love for all those You have loved and died for. May this church shine the light of the Gospel to the ends of the earth, pointing people to the need for peace vertically and peace horizontally that comes from the same source, Jesus Christ, the God-man, in whose name we pray. Amen.